Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and back for his weekly visit as Frank from Rockets Chop Shop. And Frank, a couple of big storylines this week. Let's start off the with the very positive storyline, Jay Sean Tate back on the court. What's struck you the most about seeing Jay Sean back in the lineup? Uh, just having a player that has high IQ. Um, I think that's really what sticks out. Tate is a incredibly cerebral player. I mean, even though he, he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, he's not the strongest. One thing that he, compared to the rest of the team is that he does understand how to play basketball, and that stuck out. Um, I think you guys can remember a couple of the defensive rotations that he made um, during the game to get charges, or he's always in the right place, um, covering up for other players and just doing all the things that you expect from a veteran to do so. Uh, I think in contrast to the rest of the guys, you can clearly see how big the gap is of where these guys have to get to uh, to be just regular NBA starting level players. And uh, they sorely needed him. Another aspect of his game that I was really kind of, uh, you know, I'm going to have to eat some crow uh, uh, for this because last year I advocated heavily for KJ to start. And I still think that he could start, but what I didn't count on this season was how poorly our backcourt was going to play. So I thought Tate's um, playmaking skills, because that was, he's not a great spacer, um, not a great shooter. Um, his best plays are in ice in isolation in the post, which Al P does. He, he's a playmaker, which we supposedly we're supposed to have two decent playmakers in the backcourt, but the fact that they've been so poor, they actually may need Tate's playmaking ability in the starting lineup. Um, I thought he'd be great off the bench because he could supplement as that secondary playmaker, which he he could he could still do that. But um, we're just lacking so much of that with our starters, um, with Al P having to do a lot of that heavy lifting to get the team organized. I think possibly he might just be the best starter right now because he could simulate some sort of point guard. The one thing that everybody has to be excited about is it's sort of uh, taken the weak point guard backup position and turned it into a strength that Tate's going to be out there. And it tells you that, you know, Silas definitely was going to do that to start the season. It wasn't going to be Dacian Nix and all those minutes that we saw with Dacian Nix. You just wonder what would have happened if Tate was doing this from the start of the season, because if there's one thing I've learned about in the NBA, as many guys as there are out on the court, you don't need to have a weakness running out there several minutes, every game and, and points matter. And, when you have fewest guys that have a weakness, it helps your team a lot to win games. Yeah, but I think one thing, and as with you watching the NBA, you can probably, most contenders can afford one weakness on the court at a time. And that weakness, uh, the rest of your roster has to really supplement for it. Um, we've seen that with different teams, like with Steph Curry and the Warriors, where they'll have him around four elite defenders, and all he has to give is effort and and he he has the IQ to do it, so it, it kind of makes up, and that's why they could be a top five defense with him on the court. Um, for us, we just have too many too many uh, weak links in our in our chains, offensively and defensively, and that's one of the flip side. The negatives of having Tate is the spacing and the shooting does become a problem. Um, last year, him and Alperin did not mix very well. Um, that was a bad mixture because of the lack of. Uh, shooting that they both kind of bring and defenses can kind of cheat off of uh, their assignments and uh, pack the paint 
on our guys like Jalen and, and Kevin Porter who like to get into the uh, into the paint to, to score if their shots aren't falling. So um, that's still a factor and that's still real. And, you know, and that's still something that's there uh, that I think they, they're going to have to reconcile. Uh, you know, that's a weakness that we have for him on offense, just like with Garubo. As good of a defender as Garuba is on some of these players, the fact that he can't shoot is an issue. So um, I know Rafael Stone has been quoted to say he doesn't like drafting players with the same weaknesses. Well, you look at this roster up and down. I mean, it's filled with a bunch of redundancies of guys that have the same strengths and the same weaknesses pretty much at every position. One of the things I think about when EG had his comments saying that, you know, the Rockets are doing the same thing over and over again, well, the biggest issue, and he, he's talked about it himself, is not sharing the ball. And the guys that are the three worst at it are all in the starting lineup, Jalen, KPJ, and Eric Gordon. And it's the fact that when you throw them the ball, it's not just that they do a lot of dribbling and they do a lot of one-on-one play. It's the fact that they're very slow at making whatever move that they're going to make. If they're going to make another pass, it takes them an extra split second. If, it, if they're going to make a move to the basket, they, they're going to cross over four or five times. It just slows everything down. And, you know, with Jayshon Tate, very much like Shangoon and some of the other players, besides those three guys, you know, they move the ball immediately. I mean, it's the ball's in their hands, and then they move to the next action or they decide to shoot. And that's, you know, that's basically what the consistent problem was with the Rockets' offense. Yeah, it's, it's um, I would say it's a result of just, um, players not being cultivated on the fundamentals of basketball at a young age anymore. Jalen and Kevin Porter come out of that AAU generation. Alpi is coming out of, you know, professional uh, basketball in Turkey. And uh, Tate um, came, you know, obviously Ohio State guy, went overseas and played with a bunch of professionals. So he's used to real basketball, real structure. And before we started recording, I pointed out, you know, the this um, OKC game just finished with Miami on TNT. And um, you see them, Giddy, whether it's SGA, they get into their sets fairly quickly and the ball moves, moves, moves. And the isolation is really a last resort for us. It's inverse where we start with isolation and then try to move the ball to bail out in the last seconds. And, you know, that's a that's a result of an offensive philosophy that uh, pretty much the, the ball handler gets to determine what happens with each possession. And one of the reasons I dislike Coach Silas's offensive approach. We don't have the horses to run that race. And even even if we did, I don't like it because in playoff situations, those type style of offenses that are predicated on one guy that's going to try to, you know, set the table for everybody, usually the, the good defenses key in on that. So um, the guys, they just don't know. Uh, they don't have the uh, capacities to be able to make all those decisions. Um, Jalen, for example, has been struggling. Like he's his numbers, you know, I was going through them. I mean, he's shooting down in the 20s on threes and the low 30s on twos um, in the past couple of games. And the fact that teams are starting to pack the paint on him is just showing how limited his offensive game is. Um, he doesn't have a, a true mid-range game at this point. He's shooting way too many threes. And uh, he just doesn't have the overall package. I know a lot of people want to make the comparisons to Devin Booker. Devin Booker is a polished offensive player. He has a post-up game. He has great footwork in the mid-range. Um, these are things that, I look at with some of these guys that if you're not, if teams are going to play you a certain way, you have to be able to diversify your offensive attack. And for Jalen, he truly has a long way to go. Um, He can't rely on his athleticism uh, to do everything for him. And I think that's why he's he's struggling right now. 
And uh, when he struggles, we struggle. So until he picks it up, uh, the team is going to struggle offensively. And uh, I don't think even adding Tate is going to help with that, uh, that aspect of their, their worries right now. Yeah, you mentioned AAU. I've called them Houston AAUs on Twitter. That should be our new team <laughs> logo and slogan and everything. The Houston AAUs come to a, an arena near you. I've got a couple of real interesting topics coming up, and I just want to remind everybody to subscribe and comment on YouTube if you're a Texans fan. We just did a post of the Texans press conference on Monday that was uh, more than interesting, so you're going to want to go back and listen to that for sure. Uh, we're going to keep you updated with all the coaching talk and everything that's going on with the Texans. And Frank, the, the second big storyline this week was former Rocket Austin Rivers comments after the T-Wolves game who said, what you and I and most Rockets fans agree with, Rivers said Jalen and KPJ need a good veteran helping them out. Translation, Eric Gordon and Boban are not the right <laughs> vets. But here's the hard part for me, Frank, and it, it's become harder and harder to find those type of vets on NBA rosters. The league used to keep around vets as valued assets, like we saw recently with Vince Carter. But maybe because less actual NBA players are in front offices, there's less value on the idea that a vet can be real helpful here, Frank. I think you just hit the nail on the head. Because the veteran thing is really, it's a nuance and philosophical understanding. Like almost, if you hear players talk about the importance of a vet, you almost think it's prerequisite for young teams to have them. But with what I call the uh, paperwork approach to basketball that a lot of these GMs, especially guys like Stone that come out of the school of Maury, where Maury, one of the knocks on him is that he viewed everybody as a calculation rather than a person and kind of treated players as just, you know, things that he could cut and uh, sign and do whatever he wanted to with. Um, Stone is out of that school, and he's a lawyer. He hasn't played any, uh, that I know of, any professional leagues or college or any type of basketball. So um, maybe that's an aspect of his game. And to me, if I look at his record of bringing veterans on the team, the John Wall thing was not, never for uh, the, the young guys. He brought that in to compete. And once that failed, instead of keeping John Wall, who would have been a perfect vet for two young black men um, coming out of the backgrounds that Kevin Porter and, and Jalen Green, um, obviously with Jalen Green being a number two overall pick, John Wall being a number one pick, uh, John Wall having, uh, you know, a sketchered pass, KBJ having a sketchered pass. The, the, this is the type of guy that you want that's been there, done that. He's seen the ups and downs, struggled when he came in the league. He has a similar game to Jalen's as far as using speed and all that stuff. That's the guy you send home. You pay him to sit at home. You pay him to go to Miami while your team struggles. Then when you do have an opportunity to sign free agents, you're bringing in Boban, who is a great guy. But what is what can Boban tell Jalen Green about anything? What can Boban tell Kevin Porter Jr. about passing the ball? You bring Eric Gordon is there. Eric is as if you if anybody as a fan, as a fan, we all can read what type of guy he is. He's a quiet guy. He's very blunt. He's not the rah-rah, I'm going to get in your face and make sure you do this pick and roll right or pass to your teammates. If he gets mad, he gets mad. If he wants the ball, he's going to say it after a post game, give me the ball. Uh, so that that doesn't work out. You bring in a Daniel Tice. That's self-explanatory. That doesn't work out. Your best players are, are guards. They're young guards. And, they're, and so guys like Austin Rivers would be a great vet. Pat Beverly. Um, there's a lot of vets. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be another guard. It just has to be a player 
that can resonate with them and their experiences and they that they can show respect to. And the fact that Stone hasn't able to identify that yet over these past two and a half, three years, um, it kind of leads me to believe that he is a paper GM that uh, makes his analytical calculations of where where he should sign players or what he should do, but he doesn't know how to read people because this he hasn't yet till this day. I have not seen a competent roster be put together by the Rockets uh, throughout this rebuild. I want to talk about the vets that we're talking about coming in because, you know, Patrick Beverly, he can impart work ethic, constant hustle, tenacity. They could use that for sure. But the kind of vet I think they need is somebody that was a really good player. And like I said, those guys are just hard to find anymore. You, you can't uh, teach how to be a superstar, or how to be a star player if you're Patrick Beverly. Derek Rose and Mike Conley are a couple of the rare players out there that fit what exactly the Rockets need. You, you mentioned what a waste it was to not have John Wall around this group. Um, I, that's, you know, he's one of the three guys that I counted when I was looking around in, in the NBA. Am I missing anybody else that you're interested in that, you know, used to actually be a good player that can say, hey, this is how you do it, Jalen and KPJ? I mean, it's, it's a lot of, I think those would be ideal, but even that, there's a lot of just just veteran guys that were former, like uh, Iguodala, uh, even though he's not going to be available to us. Guys like that, that were something and have the respect. And I think that's what you're hinting to with those guys that you named that you obviously, you want it's somebody that's played a significant role in the NBA that has a name and respect around the league. Udonis Haslam being a champion with those Heat team um, and building up the cachet has allowed him to be their vet. And they literally paid a guy just to be there as an enforcer and a, a culture setter. And that's a real thing. And guess who their GM and basketball operation the CEO is? Pat Riley, a former player and a coach. Um, you look at um, the Phoenix Suns with uh, with uh, the uh, what's his name James James Jones and being hired. First thing he did went out and got Amani Williams, signed to Chris Paul, brought in all these guys that are culture guys. Players understand the importance of it. Um, it's it's really you know I think even I'm surprised Coach Silas. I'm not sure whether he advocates for it. Uh, for them to do so. I just feel like he's too docile. Um, uh, he comes off very passive. So even if he says things that, like I'm reading, uh, listening to all his post-game press conferences, he agrees with what we're saying. I mean, if you read between the lines, he complains about the backcourt. Um, he complains about the lack of veterans. Uh, he always talks about experience, experience, experience. Say something. You know, say something. And it's up till now that He's feeling feeling a little heat that he's starting to kind of express himself a little bit. But I just feel like uh, the Rockets are just a lost organization without a vision or a path forward uh, with what they want to do with this rebuild. And time is running out on them as we speak. You just mentioned a name a couple of seconds ago that I, I think could be very interesting. And I'm going to throw out a crazy proposal that will never happen, a crazy trade proposal. But both the Rockets and the Suns should consider this. And I'm going to explain why. The Suns are looking at best like a play-in team with Booker's injury and Chris Paul's sudden drop off a cliff. There are two more years on Paul's contract at about $30 million, And I'm guessing they're going to want out of that deal. But it'll be nearly impossible to dump. Playoff teams can't afford a $30 million backup point guard, which is what he is. So Frank... Consider this. If you back channel with the CP3's people to see if he's willing to take on a mentor role his last couple of years, 
what would you think of an Eric Gordon and Boban for Chris Paul and a future top 10 protected first round pick? And by the way, he'd also be the perfect mentor if, say, you landed Scoot Henderson or Amen Thompson. I mean, I would take that deal in a heartbeat. I, my only concern is that with Chris Paul when to come back, we ought to remember our owner said he had the worst contract and pretty much uh, abandoned him uh, on the public the way they traded him. And, you know, we've seen the interviews with Chris Paul and pretty much it seems like he hates Houston. <laughs> um, I, you know, but, you know, money is money. And uh, maybe if, if some world that does happen, I think he literally would be the perfect person. Like I said, I'm watching OKC um, go toe-to-toe with the Heat. And it's not some random hot shooting night. Like when we beat good teams where we're shooting 60% from three, they're actually executing and uh, the, it's in the playoff atmosphere. And you got, then it brings to memory that these kids that are a little older now with Dort and SGA were actually in the playoffs in a game seven with one Christopher Paul um, that guided them in that one uh, uh, blip of a season they had when he was traded there to help them out. In that season, they probably had the most clutch minutes and we're the most clutch team in the NBA. And I think that ex- those experiences help. And you can see SGA is one of the best clutch players in the NBA right now. Um, if the Rockets were blessed enough to even get that opportunity, I mean, I would, to me, he would almost be able to overcome some of the coaching issues. They could probably keep Silas another year with Chris Paul on the roster, and it would make the biggest difference for them because he adds exactly everything that we lack, IQ, leadership, accountability all those things that we need. Um, I don't know if he would do it. Um, I would do it. I'm not sure if the Suns are going to give up a pick to offload Chris Paul. I still think he is a valuable asset to certain teams. Maybe not the Suns. They might be seeing it like that, where um, a team that lacks a, a true point guard or or like the Clippers or somebody that would need his services on a contender. You know, Chris Paul. On, on- I, yeah, I think people don't know the Chris Paul that you see this year compared to other years. Chris Paul on a playoff team, Right now, he is such a liability defensively, and it is a big problem. I think he's maybe a a 20-minute-a-guy game guy that comes in and can play backup. And if you're a playoff team, you can't afford to dump $30 million into somebody that you probably can't have out there at the end of the game. He's just lost it. I think he's jumped the shark. He's over the hill now. Um, He just can't do it. He can do it. And spots, you definitely, one thing you definitely can't trust with Chris Paul, and this has been for like a decade now, is you cannot trust Chris Paul to make it all the way through a playoff series or all the way through a postseason because he's going to get hurt at some point. And this is not just with the Rockets. This is everywhere. He gets hurt. Stuff goes wrong. And it's just like he just doesn't have the durability to make it through those series. So how is anybody going to spend $30 million a year for the next two seasons? Some veteran team is going to want that for Chris Paul to play what, 18 minutes a game as a backup? Because you, you can't trust him as a starter at this point with the injury history and his defense. I still think there's there's a, there are teams that will take him, especially some of these teams that are on the bubble of becoming um, not like an established contender, but there are teams that will take him, even at 20-something minutes a game, because uh, what he brings, like I said, whatever he brings to a young team, he can bring to a, a contender team. Um, if I'm, if you put this Wash Chris Paul on a Boston team, if they could uh, somehow afford that, that might be the difference between them winning a championship or not. Um, all you need is him to close games for you, honestly. If you can get clutch minutes, Chris Paul, that puts teams away, 
I mean, I still think, I just think that the Suns won't, I don't think they're going to see him as, oh yeah, we have to, like the Russell Westbrook contract. He's not there yet. From the people that are watching him night in and night out, the Chris Paul offensively, let's just talk about him offensively. Offensively, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have the quickness that he used to be able to. So when he gets those mismatches with a big guy, he doesn't have the quickness. He He's not doing it. He's basically not even trying to do it as, as he used to, where he would try to get by his guy and, and get that wide open spot up, you know, 16 footer, like we saw in Houston. Can he still play make though? I will ask you, as long as Chris Paul has his brain, he can be a value to a team. And uh, just like LeBron is, is probably one of the worst defenders in the NBA right now. Uh, but that mind carries you a while. And um, I'm trying to think of a, a comp for an older player from back in the day that would kind of fit the role that he would on a good team. But I still think, I don't think, my point is I'm not saying he's elite. I'm not saying he's, uh, you know, like going to be the greatest starter in the world. I'm just saying I don't think he's there where you're offloading picks to get off of him. I still think there's value in the league for Chris Paul. Um, you know, just a down year maybe, or maybe he is washed, but I still feel like he brings a lot to the table um, on and off the court. But I back to your original question. I would take him. I would I would do anything to bring a guy because you know he's going to change the culture here instantly from day one. It's a whole different regime, and he'll probably hold the coaches more accountable than anybody else has in the time that they've been here. And I think getting guys like that into your locker room actually makes everybody put a little more pep in their step, even the GM. So, yeah, that would be a great, uh, great signing. I think realistically we're probably – hopefully we're going to get a Derrick Rose or, or Pat Beverly or somebody like that. Um, and that would be a great step forward. But I just think we're the way we're going right now, um, something has to give uh, because they're running out of time. Like I said, the closer it gets to the draft, you don't have enough information to really make anything out of anything right now because we've been playing a lot of guys out of position. And then now all of a sudden you want to start bringing in vets and trying to compete. You don't have a basis to start on. So, yeah, it's just been bad, mismanaged, and just poor planning for the Rockets up to this point. And um, you still hope that they can turn it around. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I just, you know, I think if if that's how you can improve some of these guys that are on the roster, it's it's worth doing that. And Chris Paul, we know what he did for DeAndre Ayton and other players just by being in, in their presence. And, you know, I think because he's not the same this year, DeAndre Ayton's defense has taken a tumble too, along with a lot of stuff over in Phoenix. And, you know, Silas, I just don't see Silas making it through the end of the season. I might be wrong, but I definitely can't see him making it to next season. So, I want to ask you, Frank, I've asked you to come up with a couple of good head coaching candidates for the Rockets. We're assuming Silas is going to be gone because uh, I just don't see it. But Mike D'Antoni, Jeff Van Gundy, they're tan rested and ready, but I assume they're not on your list. <laughs> Who did you come up no. with? Uh, I would say, um, you know, a couple of names. And let me give a shout out to my Chop Shop uh, co-host, um, Space Ghost. He actually made a video reviewing his top eight coaches and, um, kind of going over the strengths and weaknesses of, of a lot of them, uh, the coaches that he likes. Uh, I'm going to name three coaches that uh, I would like. Um, the first, uh, Quinn Snyder. I think Quinn Snyder is, is, a, is a good coach. Um, looking at what he did with, uh, with that Utah team, uh, considering what we're seeing right now with Rudy Gobert and, and um, how they kind of schemed to make him the center of their offense and defense, uh, and made him look like uh, a three-time defensive player of the year. Um, I think that takes some creativity 
um, with that roster because they really didn't have nothing outside of Mitchell and Gobert, and they made that look like a functional playoff team. So I, I think he's a good coach and would bring a lot uh, to the table um, with what he's done. Another coach that comes to mind is um, Frank Vogel. Um, I think uh, I like Frank Vogel because of his his track record working with teams, um, especially like ours. Obviously, what he built in Indiana. Um, if you know, if LeBron wasn't uh, a, a demigod, maybe he would might have gotten further with those Paul George, Lance Stevenson, Stevenson, Roy Hibbert teams that he had over there. But you know, he's a tough coach, defensive minded, um, a guy that gets in your face. He demands a lot from his players, and he's able to coach a LeBron James. I think that speaks to his character and remember all the heat he was getting in LA if any guy can coach in LA win a championship and have LeBron James on the roster you got the goods man so I think even though the that team soured on him I think it was just a a matter of just the situation they were in with the Russell Westbrook trade I think he's a great coach um and my number one coach is uh is uh Kenny uh, Atkinson over assistant coach on the Warriors uh right now um he's a guy that's out of the Mike D'Antoni tree uh, assistant coach under Mike D'Antoni, I think when they were in New York, if I'm not mistaken. Um, also, you know, we saw what he did in Brooklyn, able to get a team of a bunch of just scragglers and uh, no-name NBA players and turn them into a playoff team, um, using turning D'Lo into a household name. Because if you guys remember, D'Angelo Russell, out of when he came out of the Lakers, people were really kind of done with him. Um, but he was able to rejuvenate his career there. Um, Jared Allen uh, kind of blossomed over there. Uh, you know, all those guys, Brooke Lopez and all the, the guys that they had in Brooklyn coming through over there. So I think he did a great job. I don't think his firing was fair, um, obviously. And uh, I think if they had kept him, even with Kevin Durant, they might have actually be in a better spot than they are now with that team. So I think Kenny is a, is a, is a type of guy you want. And I love the fact that he's under a championship program. To me, that's very, very important for these coaches. One thing you look at Silas's track record, he's been under a lot of losing. When he was with his dad, um, a lot of the teams, the, those Hornets teams and teams he was on, they lost a lot. So, and even with Steve Clifford, they lost a lot. So it, it, he hasn't really been around winning like that. So to expect, to me, if I was hiring somebody, I want to look at that. Like, what do you bring to the table as far as a championship mentality? And I think Atkinson being part of a, a, a team that's went to the finals, being around those guys, having the Mike D'Antoni connection. So, you know, he's a, he has some offensive gear and has seen that the system that he runs um, mixed in with the Steve Kerr influence, who is a offspring of the Greg Popovich. I think he's a perfect storm and the perfect kind of candidate uh, for a job like ours. Uh, he may not be the coach that gets us to a, to a, a ring, but I think getting a guy with a proven system that has done it because I'm done with new coaches. People are floating around um, Mahmoud um, Abdel Fattah. I, I'm not, I don't want to experiment with any more rookie coaches. We need somebody to lay the bricks for this house and somebody that's built the house before. No, I'm, I don't want any rookie coaches that are first timers. We are so far behind the eight ball. They should have hired Mahmoud or a guy like him on the first go around. Somebody that's maybe a champion in another league or something like that. But Steven Silas was the guy they chose. We can't take another swing on it. No more swings. You got to get an established commodity build these foundations so we can move on with this team. So those are my top three cho uh, choices for coaches. I like Vogel, but are you, w would you be worried at all that defense is really his calling card and this team it just seems like offense is really what they need. Even though the defense is not good, I, I think offense needs to be the focus for the next coach to, to get these guys to the next level because 
you know, offense a lot of times beget defense. I mean, that's you could say this vice versa, but it just feels like this team needs an offensive guru. I, I value structure and accountability, and obviously they'd be uh, maybe a Quinn Snyder maybe better, but um, I don't think Vogel has no offense. I just think that he's more leaning towards uh, defense, and you could supplement that in the staff. What I look at for head coaches is more character than philosophy um, because your head coach is essentially the team's manager. And they're like the ones that make the final decisions on things. A lot of those X's and O's and um, kind of the details of the offense and defense are going to go to the assistants. So obviously when you're hiring any of these coaches, you want to allow them to build a, a team of coaches around them that kind of supplement their weaknesses and what they do. But what I'm looking at is the man that's the coach. And can he instill discipline, character, accountability into these young guys? And once you can build that, then everything else will take care of itself. I think most of the schemes, if guys played hard, it would look good. It's just that for some reason, Coach Silas is not able to grab um, out of the players' consistency and effort for full games. They'll do it for a half, then it'll fall off, and he just stands there, he claps. Um, it's just not his personality. You heard him say it himself. He just stays positive. Now, that's cool. It's cool to be positive. It's good to be a positive influence, but um, at the same time, sometimes, you, you know, a voice that, you know, Sometimes you got to shake things up a little bit, get in somebody's face, not be positive, be negative and tell them, you know, you're doing bad, uh, you know, bench a guy. Sometimes those types of feedback may be what triggers a change in a young guy's mind instead of just patting him on the back and said, you tried your best. The one thing that I, I've never really understood about the rocket structure is John Lucas has talked about he's the bad cop and Steven Silas is the good cop. I don't know of any structure in any organization where the bad cop is not the boss. The bad cop's got to be the boss because he's got to hold everybody else accountable. If you want to have a good cop, he could be an assistant coach, but I, right. I don't think he could be the bad cop. Yeah, it's like I said, that's why I'm with the with the Vogel thing. I rather have the that discipline than just somebody that's an X and O's guru because we've seen the opposite of that. For sure, Silas is an X and O's guy. We know he knows basketball. But the fact that he can't convey what he wants to do to the players is a problem. Uh, so I need a head coach to be Mr. Accountability, like especially for a young team. Like the number one thing they need right now is structure, a foundation, and that consistency. So they know that they're – this is just like raising children. If anybody's listened to this and is a parent, you know what it is. If you let your child pick and choose uh, what they want to do and the consequences are few and far in between and you're kind of – kind of uh, flippy, flipping and flopping and when you want to punish them or hold them accountable, you're not doing anything. Children crave structure. Young people crave structure um, in any form. That's why there's some troubled children that go, uh, go to the military academies because whether they like it or not, sometimes you just need something to tell you what to do so you don't have so many options. And I think that for the style that Coach Silas coaches with, it's just really hard to, to get young guys to choose right every time. It's easy for them to not try hard if you're not going to hold them accountable. You can't expect these guys to play like 10-year vets where you just give them the game plan to go out there and execute without any type of negative feedback if they don't do it. So, yeah, I think – but who does that fall on? If you go back further enough, that's on the GM. You know, what made him and Tillman Fertitta think that to start a team – this is the guy I'm going to hire. And even though they say, okay, Harden was supposed to be here. Now Harden isn't here. You've got enough data 
to make any decisions you want to. Um, that's why I agree with you. I, I don't foresee him making it past. I, I, I'm going to say the, the longest, the latest I'll see it is probably till next season. Um, I think that the longest he'll go is probably midseason next year because I just don't think the way they're going, they're not going to be good next year either. It's funny because when I've listened to him in these press conferences after games recently and even his his uh, time where he's speaking before practice or whatever, it just seems like you can hear that he absolutely is hearing the noise and what the cr- actual criticism is or somebody has come to him specifically because accountability is something that we've been critical on from the beginning. And even Ryan Hollins at one point in a game about a week or two ago goes, you know, you got to call a timeout there after that particular defensive lapse. And, you know, these, these guys need somebody to tell them, like, this is not acceptable. And so it doesn't happen that game. But lo and behold, just a couple of games ago, we saw against the, I think it was against the Timberwolves, they call a timeout a minute or two into the second half, which is the first time I've ever seen him do anything like the, the old Popovich early timeout yeah, since he's been play. here. Pop would do it one play into a half. If he doesn't like the play, he's calling the timeout. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he, he should know because if Austin Rivers can see it, who's minding his business in Minnesota playing basketball as a full-time NBA player, if he can see it, everybody can see it. The, you know, remember the comment he made about the frustrations in the coaching room? I wonder what that's about. You know, so – Maybe there's some dynamics at play between the front office and the coaching that doesn't allow them to do certain things, or there's some favoritism going on between the players. Because I see him punish Jacob. I see him punish Shangun. I see Silas even bench Jabari, um, you know, when he was playing bad in uh, two or three games ago. So apparently there is some level of accountability for guys that aren't Jalen Green or Kevin Porter Jr., who are the people that probably need it the most. And if you look at that, um, to me, that just speaks of politics on the team. And that's why I've, like I said, I, I move all my expectations up a level as things get closer. Um, I think right now, Raphael Stone is rightfully being examined by media and fans for th- what he's done because this guy hasn't made a public statement since uh, media day. I yeah. haven't seen Raphael Stone talk since media day. Who does that? So Coach Silas has been the front man for all of this bad basketball, all these bad decisions, all of these things. He's been taking all the bullets while Rafael Stone hides in his ivory tower and gets all the love for drafting all these players. Um, And I think it's unfair a a little bit to Coach Silas that he has to stand in front of this by himself. The GM needs to be out there explaining some of these things and reassuring the fan base like, hey, we have a plan, blah, blah, blah. None of that. So it's almost as if they want him to be that. And for him as a man, he needs to start speaking up. And that's where I'm like, I know he wants the job and everything, but at the end of the day, being the worst coach in NBA history is going to be on his record. That's on his resume forever. So unless he starts talking or holding guys accountable, like he did in in playing a nine-man rotation, like he did in benching Jabari, the next level will be to bench Kevin Porter or Jalen. If Jalen is playing horribly like he did um, against, I think it was against, was it the Utah game or the last game we played? Yeah, Timberwolves. Timberwolves, bench him. You benched Jabari? You said he had tired legs, wasn't doing good? Bench Jalen. They need it. These guys need to be humble. They're just kids. They haven't done a lick of anything in this NBA to get this treatment like they're just all-stars. 
they haven't done anything. Bench him. Let him feel that pain of sitting there, of watching his team play without him because he's not playing good or making good decisions. That is valuable to a young guy. That will burn him more than you patting him on the back after he goes over five and for three turnovers in the fourth quarter. He recently just said that I'm making my decisions on my lineups based on, you know, numbers that I see. And he said it's also the eye test, but he started talking about, well, I'm basing this on numbers. And Frank, it just, it's bewildering to me because what numbers and where is he getting them? I want to know where he's finding these numbers out. He must have a, they must have an analytics firm that we, that we don't know exists. Um, but yeah, I don't know what numbers he's looking at. I'm sure he has his metrics and I'm sure they have their internal metrics. I'm not going to question his, I'm not going to question anybody's like, whether he knows like what he's doing is just that he's doing the wrong thing. Um, the no, I don't know what numbers he's looking at. I think that he's in a bind where he's forced to do certain things he doesn't want to do. I think all of the stuff he says is just coach speak at this point. I'm reading between the lines. He literally complains about the ball handling every single post-conference. And if you guys ever want to peep when Coach Silas is complaining about uh, KPJ and Jalen, he always uses the word we. He'll say, we turned over the ball a lot. We didn't make the simple plays. We didn't pass the ball. He's talking about Kevin Porter and Jalen Green. It's not uh, Jabari. It's not uh, Garuba or Shangun. He's talking about KPJ and Jalen Green, but he's not going to ever going to come out publicly to criticize his backcourt. So he uses the term we, um, which is, uh, you know, effective communication. And I work in a hospital. So uh, when we talk to, to patients and customer service, you use the term we to try to please the people you're talking to. And that's all he's trying to do. But deep down, I think he knows that he doesn't have a point guard. The offense is a mess. Um, they literally go from looking functional to looking like they haven't, they just met each other to play at that single moment for that game. And all of this reflects on him. And his strength is supposed to be an offensive guru. Your second overall pick is having probably the worst stretch in his career uh, going on right now, which is alarm bells for the GM and the coach. Jabari Smith is up and down with his offense. His defense is good, but it's not great. Um, you know, it's just the only guy that's having a decent uh, decent season is Kevin Porter Jr. And, and when he plays good, it has no impact on winning. So it's like, uh, they just need to make a decision on who's the guy that is really there, going to be their guy, and prioritize that person or those people. And what direction are you going to going forward as a team? Because what they're doing is, like I've already told you, we've talked about this on Spaces, not having a point guard hurts everybody else. That's not a gamble you can do for a long time. You can't go three, four years experimenting. It's like having a quarterback that sucks and you have a star wide receiver. You're going to hurt his numbers. He's going to get mad and be like, hey, bro, I'm open. Why aren't you throwing me the ball? You can't experiment with a quarterback when you have uh, good wide receivers on the outside. They need their catches. So that's what the Rockets are doing. They're, they're uh, having all these good wide receivers with nobody to throw them the ball. They'll draft the number one overall tight end and have a, a fifth-string uh, quarterback there that can make a pass uh, for 10 yards. So it's just, it's just really bad right now for them. Uh, I hope they can turn it around. And they can start by this trade deadline by getting uh, Eric Gordon out of here and possibly bringing in a vet that could help. Yeah, I can't believe Eric Gordon is like openly criticizing the team. I love uh, it. He's being openly, I think he's basically being openly criticized by Austin Rivers by saying he doesn't, they don't have a vet, which, you know, he played with Eric Gordon yeah. and he knows Eric Gordon. And there's Austin Rivers saying, well, they really don't have a vet to help out Jalen no. Green. I mean, so he, it, it is 
like an open secret for everybody except the Houston Rockets that Eric Gordon doesn't need to be here. And, you know, there's also reports that the Rockets are still asking for what a lot of people are saying is too much for Eric Gordon. There seems to be a disconnect between what our general manager sees. And by the way, you said the, the general manager didn't take any bullets. Well, let me just say for a year now, he's taken a lot of Eric Gordon bullets about that situation. Yeah, but he doesn't. I mean, I remember when we brought up the issues. I don't know if you you were joining our spaces then. People were believing the crap that they brought out about. Oh, he's a mentor for the game. Remember that the line from the Rockets? Oh, he's a we don't really want to trade him. He's a mentor. And look at it now. You know, like so um, I think the fans and, and the the Houston media has done a terrible job of holding the Rockets accountable. And to connect this with the Texans, our media, the, the sports media in Houston has to do a better job with our teams because we let a lot of crap slide. And when you don't do that, when you don't put the pressure, and pressure does work because we've seen teams react to stories coming out and it goes from one outlet to another, to another, to the radio, to this and that. We have to do a better job of holding our teams accountable. We are a big market that acts like a small market when it comes to our journalism. If you go to L.A., New York, Boston, Philly, those journalists are digging, scrapping, almost antagonistically. uh, uh, The relationship is almost an antagonistic relationship between the, the sports media and the sports franchises. But you know what that does? It pushes the franchises to be on top of their game. So they can't do the Eric Gordon thing without the GM looking like a fool every time he steps outside his house. Like, we have to do our part. And I think, well, the Texans thing, and I watched uh, you uh, the last video that you all made on that. I, my, you know, I'm a, I'm a Texans fan, and I don't know. Like, it, that has to be one of the most incompetent things I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, the Texans have been bad for a long, long time, so I'm not going to put the Rockets in that boat. But you could see... This little decisions they make throughout their journey that tells you that they're a dumb organization. And when I see things that the Rockets are doing and I'm telling people, hey, maybe they should have kept Jared Allen. That's kind of you always want to get a, a guy back. I mean, even if he's you're scared, he's going to let you win. That's a lie because you try to win with Victor Oladipo, who turns out to be the worst player in the NBA that year. That was dumb. That was dumb to uh, not get anything back for James Harden as a player. That was dumb to sign Daniel Tice and let him go. That was dumb to eat uh Schroeder's contract, all of these things start aggregating into just telling you that there's a lot of incompetence going on and fans, media have to start pointing these things out so action can be taken because they do listen. Yeah, Stephen Silas is your coach. He didn't get there because somebody just said, here, Stephen, you get to be coach today. You know, he, he got hired by somebody. And if you don't like what he's doing, there's two guys above him that, you know, have to take some of the bullets for that. And, you know, I said it in my show with the Texans. It was embarrassment that what happened at the Texans press conference and the questions that they asked and how they handled all that. And it's an embarrassment. And I've said it on Twitter that the Rockets basically don't get a hard question for Steven Silas in the three years that I've watched him coach. It's, it's like I said, what, um, I, a good story to point this out. In Oklahoma City, when Kevin Durant was there, I don't even if you remember, that one reporter that asked him about, I don't know if he was shooting bad or whatever. And all of a sudden the reporter got banned by the organization uh, from, uh, or they wouldn't let him ask questions anymore. That's, that's a small market. Um, same thing with Russell Westbrook, the guy that wouldn't talk to him or he'd ignore move over to LA with Russ in LA. 
the reporters are on his grip. They ask him. They don't care because the Lakers have a history. And to me, once again, you have to there's a there's a dance that occurs between fans, media, and sports franchises, especially in the in the good teams or historical franchises. Everybody has a part to play, and we've been kind of passive and letting a lot of things slide. When they were doing the double big lineups, I can't remember how many people even brought that up. Nobody. When they, um, you know, with the Harden thing, nobody asked any questions about that. It was just just believe what the GM is saying. Um, I haven't really seen a lot of all the questions were phrased from a positive standpoint. Oh, what can we do to get Jalen Green going? Like, who's we? You're the reporter. <laughs> Ask the question. Why is Jalen Green struggling? Is it part of the offense? Do you think Kevin Porter and him are a good mix? Do you think he needs a point guard? Crickets. None of these questions. The Eric Gordon thing. Crickets. Nobody wants to hard, ask the hard questions. And I, I think that goes back to just, you know, the reasons why the Rockets feel like they could do all these things and not be held accountable. But I'm glad that the heat is turning up. I'm seeing a lot of people starting to bring them up. And I'm hoping the national media gets wind of our situation because once that happens, you're definitely going to see things start happening. And if you're one of those media people that have Rockets credentials and you're asking questions and you're too scared to ask questions because you're afraid you're going to lose your credentials, then get out because that is not your job there. It's not your this isn't so you can go to a basketball game and say you're an NBA credentialed guy. This is for that are actually there to ask tough questions. And if you don't if you don't have tough questions, then don't ask them. And, you know, it, when you have a guy that's covered the Rockets for 30 years working for the big local newspaper in town, and I'm hearing him ask game story questions instead of asking the bigger questions, that is a concern. Like, you know, Jonathan Fagan, you got to step up and you got to ask some hard questions, man, because you're the one guy that if you can do it, then everybody feels like a little bit more that they can do it. And he just doesn't do that. And nobody cares about the game story anymore. This isn't 1986. You've got to, if you want people to care about what you're doing, you got to get some stuff out of Steven Silas and find out what's going on with this organization. I don't care if so-and-so was four for five on the night and blah, blah, blah. No, I need, you know, what, what, why are you doing what you're doing? And, and, and it just is unbelievable to me that the worst franchise in the NBA in the last three years doesn't get that. I just, it's disappointing as somebody that went to journalism school, that's been in this business and that's seen all that stuff. It's just, it's really frustrating. And I, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I, I just can't believe it. It's actually almost like they are. I've seen them. A lot of the media people put out uh, stories to explain why something bad happened with the Rockets more than stories about, hey, we found something out, or this is, you know, we asked him this question that was tough. It's really, they're almost becoming mouthpieces for the organization. And what's sad is that a lot of people don't want to lose their access um, to the team. Um, and, you know, our local sports media don't really, a lot of them don't have the cachet. So there's a lot of conflicts of interest going on uh, between those journalists and those in those press rooms and, uh, and, you know, and the team, because, uh, you know, the, the access is there. You've seen them take pictures with the GM. Uh, they're going to the games. And maybe they're scared if they ask a hard question, they're not going to be invited. But like you said, um, that's not that's a, a ethical issue at that point. Uh, if you're a journalist and you can't really ask the questions that 
your entire fan base and everybody with eyes and ears uh, is wondering about. It's sad that a lot of times the bad stories or the major stories about the Rockets are broken by guys that work for Bleacher Report in San Diego or, or some other city. You know, a lot of the stories that come out are going to be big news outlets that have reporters that do their investigations and come out. And it should be an embarrassment to our local beat writers that they're not able to find out what's happening right under their nose. And it takes these regional guys or or people that are in New York to break stories uh, about their Houston Rockets. This is all truth. I'm glad you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Tell me what's going on with Rockets Chop Shop. What's the latest? Yeah, man, I'm going to be. Probably my next uh, thing I want to look at is what's going on with Jalen Green. Um, I'm starting to do some uh, research on that to see what is really causing a slump. Um, I suspect a couple, you know, multiple factors. But, um, yeah, I'm going to be looking at that. And, uh, yeah, we just keep doing the podcast. And uh, if you guys ever want to join a post-game live, uh, just stop by the channel. That's Rockets Chop Shop. And right after the games, uh uh, my co-host Space Ghost, he usually does a post-game live where you can kind of talk with a community of Rockets fans that are diehard. Uh, and it's usually pretty fun, win, lose, or draw. We try to keep it um, keep it something interesting for you guys to, to, um, to watch and enjoy. Yeah, I've noticed it's so sad with the Rockets fan base right now that the, some of the Twitter spaces are disappearing or the, they're shortening yeah, their we, times and everything. It's that bad. What are we, there's nothing to talk about at this point. It's like... <laughs> What are we just going to, it's almost beating your head against the wall. It's sad. And I hope the Rockets do see this. And once again, it's not the wins and the losses. And I don't want people to confuse. I, they're going to say, oh, wow, you, what do you expect? We are not dumb. Uh, me, Robert, anybody that has a basketball mind, you can see that there's something wrong uh, with this rebuild. They're not progressing. It looks like it did last year and the year before that. And there's really no discernible difference, even though the players, some of them are playing better. The team is just not where... You need to be to be a team that wants to start being good next season, even if that's just marginally. Um, We're on pace for the same amount of wins and we're still at square zero. So I'm waiting for us to go to square one so we can say that we're going to start climbing out of the rebuild because anything they do right now is meaningless almost because you still haven't identified who your players are. Yeah, and I tell you what, you just don't go from last in the NBA or worst team in the NBA to a playoff team the next year and you know you're not you're not getting another pick that 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 next season you're not you know and so uh to to be this uh screwed up right now is is real scary for the franchise going forward so i don't know uh well thanks frank for doing this and uh we're gonna we're gonna do it again next week and hopefully maybe there'll be something different (laughs) i hope (laughs) we'll see i think everybody's hoping for some Wolge bomb or something like that for either EG or Coach Silas, but we'll see what happens. But appreciate you, man. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.